This is Exponent Philanthropy's catalytic podcast, Conversations with Leaders at Small Foundations. Meet some of the most creative, resourceful, and risk-taking foundation people in the country. In part two of our conversation with Michael Weinberg of the Thornburg Foundation, Michael explores how a coalition of funders that he helped bring together does its work. Organized around early childhood education funding, the eight members gathered to coordinate efforts, engage nonprofits throughout the state, and amplify their voice. Initially, they were not doing advocacy. At the beginning, members got to know each other and shared information. Then they began building relationships with state legislators and their staffs by inviting them to meetings and site visits, starting an early childhood caucus, and funding demonstration projects that the state could not fund. Over time, the New Mexico Early Childhood Funders Group built credibility with the legislature. At one point, the coalition's advocacy resulted in an increase in state money for home visiting programs. Michael says this policy success helped persuade the boards of coalition members to keep going. Building on this growing trust with the legislature, the foundations offered to fund the creation of a business plan for New Mexico's early childhood programs. The business plan led to the creation of New Mexico's first standalone Department of Early Childhood. These foundations' collaboration on advocacy, plus their grants of a few thousand dollars, built a path for public investment of millions of dollars that will strengthen New Mexico's children and families for decades to come. Really what some of our, the early work that our foundation focused on was increasing access to high-quality early childhood programs in the state. We knew that there was strong evidence of these programs' effectiveness, and I should clarify the programs that I'm referring to specifically our home visiting, which is an, uh, an evidence-based model of coaching parents um, with newborns, pre-kindergarten, and childcare. I would say those are the three that, that we were focused the most on growing. Um, and to do that, um, we, we were really making a, a wide variety of grants. Um, some of them to support research around what are the best practices, um, some to fund demonstration of promising practices and evaluation to accompany that demonstration, um, and some for direct advocacy. So those, those would probably be the three buckets of grant making that, that I would say guided our work. Um, the other thing that, that we, that I did really early on was, 
collaborate with other funders in the state of New Mexico. So there wasn't any formal structure when when I came into the job, but there were others who were state-based who were making similar kinds of grants. And we gathered rather informally and just began this conversation about um, what each of us was working on with the goal to um, better coordinating our grant making, maybe making the lives of our grantees a little bit easier, and and if nothing else, being able to amplify the the work that we were doing um, by by coordinating. So that early, we we eventually um, gave ourselves a name, um, an early childhood funders group is is what we called ourselves. There, over time, came to be about eight of us who participated regularly. Um, a couple were national funders, but most of us were state-based. We involved the state of New Mexico because we we knew that ultimately they're the largest funder of these early childhood programs. And and I'd say early on, we as I as I mentioned before, our focus was just increasing access to these programs. Um, home visiting was, the, I, I had mentioned, one where a, a, a lot of us were doing work. So we um, we focused on growing um, the amount of funding available for home visiting, as well as improving the, the infrastructure within the state so that there was the potential to expand capacity as that funding grew. Early on, we, we just started small. I mean, we we identified some grantees that we had in common already, and we agreed that we would um, we would just share information about what each of us were funding. I mean, I mean, it's public information, but we would make it readily available to each other so we could see where we had those um, common intersections. Um, we eased into almost everything that that we did. So, um, at one point, and and this was fairly early in the journey, we were approached by um, a group of grant makers from Texas who were um, being funded by the Alliance for Early Success to work with other states who were interested in funding advocacy, and our group. Hadn't done anything like that before, um, but Jennifer Esterline and Jason Sabo called us up and said, "Hey, we have this thing that's working pretty well in Texas, and if you'd be interested, we'd like to share the model with you and provide you with some assistance if if you're open to it." We there was some apprehension, and when we said, "Let's pilot this." Let's just give it a try. That that really opened the door and eased the tension. And we said, um, it's pretty low risk if it's a pilot. We'll um, we'll give it a shot. So that first legislative session, we pulled something like thirty thousand dollars. There were six of us who each put in anywhere from twenty five hundred to ten thousand dollars. So so really. Um, small amounts of, of capital. And we made this series of mini grants to unexpected messengers to advocate for increased funding for home visiting that I had referenced earlier. 
we we were pleasantly surprised that the legislature appropriated something like $1.8 million for home visiting. And what was so exciting about that is each of us were able to go back to our boards and say, for, for our $5,000 contribution, we were able to see this return of $1.8 million. And um, not surprisingly, that, that really resonated with them. Um, so I think, I think it, it was that kind of uh, gradual progression that helped quite a bit. The other thing, you know, you, you talked about that relationship with, um, with the legislature. And, and again, there wasn't a department at the time. So we've, we mostly worked with staff um, through the Legislative Finance Committee in the budget-making process. And, and it really was a, a reciprocal relationship. We, we tried to be very clear to the state that we as a group of funders could be good partners to them, that we could fund things that um, they weren't in the best position to fund. I, I earlier referenced this idea of demonstrating promising practices, trying things out. We, we really could foster this idea of innovation. And in cases where it appeared to be working, we could then work with the state to identify um, sustainable funding streams. So just, I guess, one quick example that comes to mind um, was around um, long-acting reversible contraception. Um, several of us had been approached by the Department of Health early on with a desire on their part to see if um, LARCs, as they're more commonly known, could be made more publicly accessible. That private pay insurance was covering them, but Medicaid, there were some challenges. And um, New Mexico, given our high rate of poverty, um, lots of a, a significant portion of our population is Medicaid eligible. So that that could do a um, go a long way in terms of. Um, voluntary and planned pregnancy versus um, unexpected pregnancy. So our funders group, several of us, um, went in on this grant to um, the University of New Mexico that was to train providers in some of these federally qualified um, health clinics to um, make LARCs available voluntarily to those who are seeking them out. Um, the evaluation of that was really strong, just in terms of um, its success. When we presented it to policymakers, um, they recognized, again, this idea of a strong return on investment and um, stepped forward with state funding. So, so I guess what, I, what I'm trying to get out there is that um, even though that doesn't sound like it's related to the business plan, I think the significance of that is it was about relationship building and it was about um, the kind of trust building that you referenced that um, policymakers saw that we were adding value to the early childhood system. Um, and in return, they um, I, I think we established some credibility um, and were perceived as um, being somewhat neutral in terms of a policy agenda. And, and I say that with, with air quotes because, you know, we as foundations, um, we do have biases and agendas, but 
um, we were we were perceived by the state, and 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 I think it was earned as as being um, some well ob- objective and um, and trustworthy. In the early days, um, it w- we were we were really loosely affiliated. There there was no real structure. Um, we we met roughly every other month. Um, we tended to rotate where we would um, meet at at one of our offices. Um, we did some meetings that were more experiential, where we we meet um, at the facility of like an early childhood provider or something like that, so that we could um, be in in a setting like that together and take a tour that that type of thing. Over time, we we formalized our structure slightly. We adopted some operating guidelines. We um, designated a chair and a co-chair and a steering committee and, and things like that just to help us a bit with our decision-making process. We actually assessed ourselves dues um, at one point and hired a part-time coordinator. Um, and I'm, I'm saying all of that in the past tense because we actually backed away from some of that structure um and and at this point are i would actually say somewhere in between that on that continuum in terms of our level of formality um we do have a couple of co-chairs right now um but um for the most part the it, it it's rather informal um when we identify a project that we want to fund together it's completely voluntary who contributes so um for example, on that LARC project I named, there were four of us who went in on that. On the advocacy work, historically, there have been six or so of us who fund that. And, and if you'll remember, I, I mentioned that there were there are really eight of us who are full members. And so it's, it's not always the same four or six or, or however many. It just varies by project. Early on, as a group, we... We knew that we wanted to build the bench of uh, legislative champions for early childhood education. And, and we thought we were in a good position to do that. Again, going back to this idea of, of the, the level of trust that, that might come as, as philanthropists. So we started out, again, rather informally, just inviting legislators to, um, to come to a couple of events that we put on. One was at a child care center. One was at a home visiting providers location. Um, there was there was real enthusiasm around that. That we wanted to keep that momentum going. And and this was somewhere around 2015. We decided that we would um, informally create this early childhood legislative legislative caucus. Um, to this day that that caucus still exists. It was actually the only issue specific caucus in New Mexico at the time. Um, it wasn't established by the leadership of the legislate the legislature. It was it was just our funders group that did it. Um, eventually, we designated or invited, I should say, um, both a Republican and a Democrat to co-chair that caucus, and they've really picked up a lot of the leadership. But our funders group, um, it's been a way for us to um, to maintain relationships with uh, with legislators. And um, 
and and we're we're really mindful of this these differences between advocacy and lobbying and what is allowable um, as foundations and and have have done just a tremendous amount of work educating legislators through this caucus over the years. And I, I, I think that's an element that has contributed to this eventual creation of the department as well. We have struck what I, I think is fair to call a, a, catal- a catalytic role. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that Garrett in particular, when um, he made this shift around 2012 to funding um, in the policy arena, um, I think that that put our foundation in uh, in somewhat of a unique position um, in really being explicit about our interests uh, to influence um, those types of issues. That um, the other foundations in the group, I, I I think it's fair to say that they were. Um, eager to participate, but um, also um, happy and willing to to follow our lead, specifically ar- around these issues of, of policy. And I, and I think that what works so well is that um, between the, the different organizations, we really complemented each other, and and so. Some of the some of the foundations had these deep relationships with grassroots organizations. Um, some were very specific to particular geographies of the state. Um, others had a had a national perspective. So I I think that all of all of those things were really important in um, the overall um, effectiveness of our of our group. And that um, what what Thornburg and what I, I think I in particular, um, as well as our executive director, were were able to do was to to think strategically about um, how to how to advance those policy object, uh, objectives. Our conversation with Michael Weinberg of the Thornburg Foundation continues in part three. Thanks to Michael for joining us. Look for new catalytic podcasts each month. Meet more creative funders. Benji Roo does the audio engineering and mixing. Our website is by Kwok Lee. Our music is by O Future. The Catalytic Podcast is made possible by grants from two Exponent members, the 1772 Foundation and the Blackstone Ranch Institute. I'm your producer and host, Andy Carroll. Thanks for listening. Join us next time.